0: The Bavada At Odds Podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week, as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada At Odds Podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to Pros Like Us. Brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back, and better than last week, we hope. It is Super Bowl week. It is here. I can't believe we made it this far, without, uh, without really without much of a hitch. I mean, there's been games on pretty much every day of the week, but here we are. The Super Bowl is upon us. Alex, how are you? What's going on with your Super Bowl week? Uh,
0: just looking forward to... Sunday. It's a little bit different this year. Obviously, we're not going to have as many fans. But it's not a. It's not an event unlike we've seen in in previous years, and even last year when this COVID thing happened, uh, people were still operating. The Super Bowl is a big bonanza. Everybody is just meeting at this one big place. But that's not the case this year. A lot of people are staying home. Even reporters who are covering the teams that are in the Super Bowl, they're staying home and watching it from the comfort of their living room, just like the rest of us. It's going to be different, but it doesn't take away from the game. Can't get any better than this, Lou. I mean, it's Brady against Mahomes. I mean, you couldn't write a better chapter. If you were writing, like, an NFL book out there, you couldn't write a better chapter. Brady playing for the Bucks in his first season, meeting the future of, you know, the quarterbacking and in, in Patrick Mahomes. So, that's what I'm looking forward to the most.
1: Yeah, amazing storylines all the way across the board. Like you said, I mean, chance at a repeat, Brady playing in his 10th Super Bowl, brand new team. I mean, it. You're right. You can't you can't script it much better than that. But uh, then you also have the coaches. You know, guys in their 60s. We've seen you know kind of the wave of the NFL going towards the hot younger coordinators to be your coach. But if you look back at the last. I think 10 Super Bowls, there isn't a coach under 50 that has won the game. And most of them are over 60. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of things going on here. Bruce Arians, you know, maybe this could be his first. Andy Reid could, you know, repeat and really elevating himself among the annals of the NFL as one of the top coaches. So, yeah, I'm just excited. I, it's it's a little different phenomenon for me as a fan of the team because last year was so emotional that, oh my God, I mean, is this ever going to happen? Is this ever going to happen that they actually get to a Super Bowl? Well, then they get there and they win. Now it's like, can they repeat? I don't even know how to feel. I don't know how the how the players <laughs> are, are thinking, like, oh my God, we, we're going to do this again? So yeah, it, it's it's pretty exciting time.
0: And when we're looking at the game, Bovada Sportsbook has the Chiefs minus three versus the Tampa Bay Bucks Has this... Fred hasn't moved.
1: Yeah, three and a half and fifty six and a half, and each number came down half a point. So, and I and I think we even talked about last week where we probably you probably weren't going to see much movement just because think you have equal interest or equal. You can make a case for either side. So, it, typically in those types of games, you're not going to see a lot of movement. And I mean, it's, it's a toss up
0: you and I, we're amazed when we look at a guy like Tom Brady. And I think even people that don't like the Patriots and don't like Tom Brady, they can appreciate his greatness because of what he did. I realized that he went to a very good Tampa Bay Bucks team, all right? They had a lot more weapons than what the Patriots had in the past couple of years, but when he got there, he brought this winning culture because the Bucks haven't been in the playoffs since like 2007. Their GM was on the cusp of losing his job. Bruce Arians was desperate. He called Winston his guy, and then when he had the chance to bring in arguably the greatest quarterback in the entire history of the NFL, he jumped at the chance, and here he is at 43 years old. I just can't get over this. Looking at myself, I'm going to be 40 next year, and I just can't imagine going out there on the football field and playing to the best of your abilities at 43 years old because my back is hurting, Lou. I mean, it's like (laughs) I I take a walk for an hour. You know, I'm an average guy. I take a walk for an hour. I'm tired afterwards. But Tom Brady is just like a guy that I can imagine a scenario where this guy is playing until he's about 50.
1: Well, I don't know about that about 50, but I can he'll certainly play. I'm thinking at least another couple of seasons if he remains healthy. I mean, obviously that's the thing is if he doesn't take any huge hits or arm problems, you know, things like that. Not that he's just playing arguably the best quarterback in the NFC. I mean, short of Aaron Rodgers having the season that he did. Brady was right there with him. I mean, at the end of the day, statistically and obviously what he did with his team and then head-to-head, he goes into his backyard and beats him. That's the amazing thing is just at the level that he's still playing and still able to kind of resurrect his team. Yes, all the intangibles are there, and you cannot discount that. You're absolutely right to galvanize this this group of talent that was there but didn't have the leadership, not because they know accountability, but not quite the, the level of accountability that Brady brought to that team, that organization from day one actually had to kind of do it on his own because they weren't meeting as a team regularly. He was, you know, doing unsanctioned workouts. I mean, I think the NFL had to tell him to try to, you know, to to go ahead and shut it down sometimes. And I just yesterday happened, you know, on NFL Network, they were replaying his first Super Bowl against the Rams. And I'm just looking at it thinking, Oh my gosh, At the age I was then and where I am now, and he's still playing football at this level, it's mind-boggling. It it really is, and I would not be surprised if they won. I don't want them to, obviously, but I would not be surprised if he kind of raised that team up and got them to the finish line.
0: And do you remember watching that first Super Bowl against the Rams, the St. Louis Rams at that time? They were, they were the offense. Oh, a huge, juggernaut. huge,
2: they, huge favor. Exactly.
0: The Patriots were a huge underdog in that game. And at that time, it, the narrative was that Bill Belichick and that defense stopped the greatest show on turf. When Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl afterwards, you would have never thought, as an average fan, that Tom Brady would have this type of career.
1: No, absolutely not, because it was so unlikely that he was in the position that he was, and then just where he came from. And he didn't star at Michigan. He was a good player, had some great games. The bowl game, I think it was against Alabama. May have been his senior year, where it's like, oh, okay, well, he had a great game, but you know, there was guys there that he wasn't able to to beat out completely, and you always thought, you know, they've got Drew Bledsoe, they've paid him all this money, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna come back, and it'll be Bledsoe's team, but yeah, this this is just uh, an amazing time, I guess, to be alive, <laughs> to be able to see this happening, because with all the money that's out there, I don't know that there's gonna be another guy that's gonna push himself to this level at that age. It's really hard to believe.
0: I mean, with all due respect to Tom Brady, we do know if we're looking at the quarterbacks here, Patrick Mahomes gets the upper hand. Obviously, the things that he can do, the way he can improvise, the the throws that he makes on the football field. As far as wide receivers and tight ends and running backs, what do you think? I mean, it's basically even, I would say, because, I mean, I think Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are, are bigger stars, but the Tampa Bay Bucs, they also have, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Uh, they've got Leonard Fournette. I would say it's a wash when it comes to those offensive playmakers.
1: Yeah, I think skill players uh, yeah, across the board, I don't know that you can really say, you know, one has the edge over the other. The only edge that you could give to the Chiefs perhaps is the fact that Hill and Kelsey have, have elevated their games but you know to to what degree okay so that's more familiarity i guess for Mahomes playing with those guys over the past 3 year the past 3 runs where Brady this is the first one but still, if you're just looking talent, talent, who can make plays, that's where it is. The, the real key is going to be is which one of these defenses, I believe, that can not necessarily stop the other team, but make enough stops to give their offense more chances than the other team's offense. Because it looks like the Bucks defense is peaking, much like the Chiefs' defense did last year. And the Chiefs' defense, again, they, they show flashes, They've had some moments, but they quite haven't gotten to where they were last year. It doesn't seem like it. Frank Clark, again, let's see. I mean, maybe he turns it on for the Super Bowl. Chris Jones seems to be playing at the same level that he has. So that pass rush hasn't quite been as good. The one thing that they have added is the, the blitzing from the either the corners, the short corner, Lejarius Sneed coming, or Dan Sorensen coming, or the honey badger. So those are some some elements to it. But those linebackers and defensive linemen for the Bucks is no joke. I mean just watching it, we've been talking the last few weeks about David, Devin White. I mean they're they're supreme athletes and they have a chance to really do something special here in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, JPP, the old man of the bunch, I guess. It's been nine years since he played in the Super Bowl. He's going to be ready to rock and roll. And The Chiefs' offensive line, it's it's been well documented. It's been been, uh, a revolving door. Neither tackle is healthy. So, yeah, I, I really believe it's going to come down to the two defenses and can Spags do it one more time against Brady in the Super Bowl.
0: Well, at least you've got a quarterback that can move out outside of the structure, outside of the pocket, and can do some things with his feet. You don't have like a sitting duck. I mean, Mahomes is at his best when he's able to improvise and and do some of those things that he, he only does in today's NFL, outside of the structure. We saw it in, in last year's Super Bowl, right? He made a couple of... Unbelievable throws that I I still see in my sleep, Lou. Just
2: because,
0: <laughs> just because you know why? Only he can do those things. Because when you think you've got him, and you find the guy downfield, you know, streaking, and it just makes an unbelievably incredible throw. And in that regard, obviously the Bucks have they have the pieces to to get to Mahomes from the outside from those edge rushers and using those linebackers.
1: Much like the Niners had last year. I mean, it's very similar. I mean, Fred Warner, you know, that defensive front. Yeah, how many coaches are just like watching that play where they called Jet Chip Wasp where the the long play to to Tyreek Hill when they were down were down eleven points you know, it looked like the game was hanging in the balance. It was third and 15, and he just kept drifting back. And you're thinking, oh, my God, he's going to get sacked for about 25 yards, and the game's over, and he just lets it fly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with that.
0: And that was – That was the game, basically. I mean, after he completed that pass, that started the comeback. (laughs) That
1: started the avalanche. That you never thought would be (laughs)
0: possible because the 49ers had the game in control. I mean, it it just looked that way. It just didn't seem like and that one play just completely turned everything around. You know what? I'm looking at the over and under. Uh, According to Bovada, the total on the Super Bowl is 56 points. And I think it's going to be a high-scoring Super Bowl. I look at these secondaries. I look at the weapons that the Chiefs have and the Bucks have. I can't imagine this being a, a low-scoring affair. And that, that's just where I stand, Lou.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one to pick. I mean, I'm going to call my shot, if you would, at the end of the show. It's a little bit of a tease there. So according to that, I guess I'm looking for it to go over 56 as well, but just barely. You know, the championship game in Kansas City, obviously those were two different teams a couple of years ago, but that looked like there was the second half was like neither defense was re- really ready to make a stop, even though New England had a very good defense. Whereas in this game, both teams have shown flashes, you know, the defense might rule the day. I mean, does, do you really believe that the no-risk-it-no-biscuit Bruce Arians is going to come out running the ball? Which, you know, they probably should do because that's if they're the Chiefs really have a big weakness on defense, it is the run defense. But will the Chiefs then do the same thing? Are the Tampa Bay's Todd Bowles going to play a little bit softer and the Chiefs say, okay, fine, you're going to do that, we're going to run the ball. That's just not who they are. So, yeah, I think maybe I, you've talked me into it. I think maybe it is going to be a high-scoring game because both teams are going to want to put the ball in the hands of their best player, and they're going, to, they're going to be pitching it all around the yard.
0: I think if Bruce Arians wants to win this game, they have to run the ball. I mean, I agree with you. They've got a two-headed monster with Leonard Fournette, who looks healthy. He looks fresh. And he's been giving him a spark throughout the playoffs. And then you've got Ronald Jones as that two-headed monster. But I don't think Bruce Arians is, he's just, he likes to go for the jugular. He likes to go for the kill. And just looking at the regular season, when you know that Brady's strength is throwing it, Uh, those short passes, intermediate passes, he was still stubborn enough to take those shots downfield. And he continued to take those shots. He never adjusted. And I just can't imagine Bruce Arians, like, he wants to win the Super Bowl, no doubt about it, but he wants to do it his way. And his way is dialing up those vertical throws, those post routes, and trying to just play the Chiefs' game. He wants to run up the score. He wants to you know, score 40, 50 points. He's not going to be able to do it, but in his mind, it's like a video game.
1: I mean, there's been so many press conferences this week, but one of the things that stuck out to me is that the no risk at no biscuit he just says he lives his life that way. He'll be on the golf course, and he knows that he can't get there in, in two. In other words, he can't reach the par five in two shots, but he keeps trying. He'll hit it in the water every time, but... Uh, If he doesn't try it, he'll never get it there. So that's just, you know, one example as to his mentality. So conventional wisdom uh, would tell you, yeah, run the ball. Don't give Mahomes as many opportunities as, as, uh, you know, as Brady gets. But, it's just against his nature, so I think that's what kind of convinced me, and you mentioning it, that it's going to be a high-scoring game versus you know, being tactical and trying to you know, control the other team's offense and keep them on the sideline. Just, that's just not going to be with these two coaches.
0: Bavada offers bettors and players an industry-leading online betting experience that is second to none. Go check out as many prop bets as they have out there for the Super Bowl. The only way that I think the Bucs can win this game, and I guess that's kind of a, a hint of, of what my pick is going to be, they have to run the football. They just they have to. I just, conventional wisdom says... You've got to keep that offensive firepower on the sideline. You've got to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. You have to milk the clock. You have to just control the clock with the Tom Brady short passing game. And you've got to put it in the hands of Ronald Jones and, and Leonard Fournette. And that's, I think, Bruce Arians. I hope Bruce Arians wants to win the Super Bowl because that's what I would do. Even if I'm betraying myself, even if I'm letting myself down, and and I've got everything on the on the play call sheet says I got to do these verticals, you know, all goal routes. That's the only way that the Tampa Bay Bucks can win. The Chiefs have an advantage in this game. They've been here before. Most of their pieces from last year's Super Bowl run, they're back. They, they've been in this position. Andy Reid isn't going to be been in this position not once not twice but three times already and he has won. Bruce Arians has to be smart he's seen a lot of football he's been a head coach in this league he's been an offensive coordinator for years and years and he's just got to use that overall experience to put his team in the best position to win and the best position to win is control the clock but I don't think that's what Arians is going to do.
1: Again, I, I think we both mentioned conventional wisdom, but I think in this particular case, conventional wisdom may be wrong because that's really only worked one time in Patrick Mahomes' career. Uh, a couple of years ago, a home game against the Colts and Jacoby Brissett, I believe the final score was like 19-13. to 13. And even in that game, Mahomes made some crazy play where he's running full speed towards the sideline and just throws a ball back into the end zone and Byron Pringle caught it for a touchdown but that's the only time he's lost a game and they only scored 13 the winning team scored like less than 35 points every time he loses it's a high scoring game so maybe the conventional wisdom is wrong yeah, it makes sense, but it hasn't happened yet, so maybe Arians is on to something, and you gotta outscore him, whether it was you know, the Raiders this year, uh, we'll talk about Jared Goff a bit later in the show, that game a couple of years back against the Rams was like 54-51, to 51. it just seems like the, the Brady Championship game, every game he seems to lose, and he hasn't lost that many in his career, the other team has scored a ton of points, so Again, except for the Colts. So, to Jacoby Brissett, God bless you, man. I think he'll be he'll hold that spot near and dear to his heart for the rest of his career. Joining us now on Pros Like Us is Adam Teicher. Adam has been covering the Kansas City Chiefs for well, let's just say a long time. If he wants to date himself, we'll let him do that. But uh, currently, with ESPN, prior to that, with the KC Star. So, if you want to know anything about the Chiefs, this is your guy. Adam, how are you, man? I mean, this is, I think this is a conversation like 30 years in the making.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it was 1993 was my first season. The Chiefs had just traded for Joe Montana. So what does that make it, 28 years? Did I do the math right? Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I went a little the Chiefs, it. I So Yeah, yeah. So how about that? Uh, the time flies. I never thought I'd be doing it this long, but uh, here I am.
1: God bless you, man, and thanks for joining us. Now, Adam, from, from the outside, I mean, for, from my perspective, I mean, you know I've been a, a fan for, for my lifetime, but it really looks like this yep. team truly loves playing with each other, for each other. Do they win because they love each other so much, or do they love each other because they win? I mean, what, what do you attribute to just that whole feeling towards?
2: Well, you know, I, I think there's an element to that for sure. You know, I, I think probably most winning teams – have an element of that I think that's just sort of a natural byproduct of winning as you kind of become closer to one another um but then again I really have nothing to compare it to because until this last couple of years you know the Chiefs just had never been strong contenders for a Super Bowl my first year they went to the AFC Championship game and, and that's been it until Pat Mahomes arrived as a starter so uh you know, I, I think you have to give Andy Reid a lot of credit for this as well. I mean, he he has done an amazing job at getting everybody to pull in the right direction. I I've seen the Chiefs teams over the years where the coach wanted one thing and the general manager wanted something else, and other people in the organization wanted a third thing, and it was you, you had people pulling in different directions, and that can explain a lot of what happened over the over the fifty years where the Chiefs didn't make it to a Super Bowl. But that's not the case now. Everybody's sort of on the same page and is pulling in the same direction. And uh, that's a lot of what you're getting right now.
1: Yeah, like you said, it always helps when you get the quarterback right. So that's uh, yep, yep. <laughs> no doubt there. Now, if you kind of compare things to last year, last year's championship team versus this year's, not a lot of changes personnel wise. But have you seen maybe some places where the team has grown and then maybe even some places where they might have regressed a bit?
2: Well, you know, I'm looking at defense particularly. It's harder for me to trust them defensively this year than it was at this time last year. You remember last year, you know, they weren't very good defensively for the first 10 or so games of the year and then just sort of flipped the switch and then led the league in scoring defense over the last six games of the season last year. And yeah, they played against some pretty weak offensive opponents in that stretch, but still playing pretty well. And then in the playoffs, you remember the Chiefs got down twenty four nothing against Houston and a lot of that wasn't even on the defense. You know, there was the fumbled punt return, there was a block kick. I mean, it was it was a lot of that. It had nothing to do with the defense. So at that point it's twenty four nothing. Then the Chiefs run off forty one straight points. Well if you're going to run, if a team's running off 41 straight points, your defense is doing something really well in that stretch, and the Chiefs did. So they, they their defense really aided that comeback last year. Even though everybody focuses on the you know the what the eight straight possessions where the Chiefs scored some points, um, and then in, you look in the AFC Championship game, you know, Derrick Henry did almost nothing in the second half, and you know, Tennessee got one touchdown in the second half. That was uh, late in the game, uh, almost a garbage time touchdown. And then in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs sort of choked the 49ers off in the fourth quarter. Uh, so the Chiefs were playing really well defensively. I, until the Buffalo game, you really hadn't seen that from the Chiefs for a long period of time. In the first game, uh, half against Cleveland, they played a great defensive game. In the second half, the Browns scored a couple touchdowns, and I think everybody was sweating it out. Uh, what would have happened had the Browns gotten the ball back toward the end of the game? Would they have made it work then? little too up and down. they, they do not not as strong rushing the quarterback. They've got to blitz too much to get pressure, and I think that's a problem. So I, I don't know that I can trust the Chiefs defensively quite like I did last year. You know, on offense, Chiefs are still as dynamic as they were, just not as consistently as they've been. Um, there's been some times in games where they've just sort of uh, looked like they've been maybe on autopilot a little bit, and, and uh, you had not seen that so much in the past. They've really had a killer instinct. So uh, we'll see where they are on Sunday. But I feel like if they play their game, it'll be like the Buffalo game. You know, It'll be hard for the Bucks to keep up because uh, when the Chiefs are playing like they did in the AFC Championship game, I don't know that there's another team in the league that can touch them.
0: Aside from those physical tools that Patrick Mahomes brings to the table, what do you think sets him apart from the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL?
2: Again, I can p- compare him to a lot of the guys the Chiefs have had over the years. And, you know, he, he's just the guy that everybody listens to when he talks. And, and that's not as common a thing as you might think in the NFL with the starting quarterback. And, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with how good he is. You better listen to him. Or you're going to be on your way out maybe because this is his team for sure. You know, there, there have been some teams where the quarterbacks sort of kept to them themselves and, and – uh you know, just wanted to do their own thing, and that's not how he is. He gets everybody involved. He, uh, You know, he, he sort of embraces that uh, leadership role where, where some guys don't. You know, you're not just getting what you see for three hours on Sunday afternoon. You get a lot more that goes on behind the scenes with him, and he, he sort of embraces that. He's really good at that part of it too.
0: Adam, uh, let's turn our attention to the Super Bowl what do you think is the main key for the Chiefs in the big game against the Bucks?
2: Well, it's probably what a lot of people are looking at, and that's the offensive line. I mean, if you look at it a certain way, the Chiefs are really down to their backup offensive line. I mean, they've lost five guys since a week or so before training camp. You remember the Chiefs had two uh, players opt out because of COVID before the start of uh, training camp. Both those guys would be playing right now. One was a starter, Laurent. DuVernay Tardif was a starter, and and uh, Lucas Nying would be playing right I don't think he would have been a starter when the season began, but he, he'd be playing right now with all these other injuries. And then now the Chiefs have lost, uh, you know, as we know, both starting tackles and a starting guard during the regular season or in the playoffs. They're down five guys from guys who would be playing now. So you look at it that way, and the Chiefs are really down to a backup offensive line. And I think one of the underrated factors how the Chiefs' season has gone is they've been able to patch this offensive line together and, and get this far, you know, get to a Super Bowl at the very least. You know, great job to the Chiefs for sort of patching everything together and finding a way to make it work. Now, looking ahead to Sunday, can the Chiefs continue to make it work? You know, we know the Bucks gave the Packers certainly a lot of problems with their pressure. Uh, I'd like to believe that Andy Reid and his staff will do a far better job in adjusting to that than the Packers did. I mean, it looks like the Packers just sort of tried to wish those problems away, and they never did go away. So, you know, can the Chiefs block Jason Pierre-Paul consistently? Can they block Shaq Barrett consistently? Or will those guys ruin the day for the Chiefs? You know, we saw what happened last year for three-and-a-half quarters, basically, in the Super Bowl when the Chiefs really didn't do a good job uh, controlling the pressure from the other teams. We'll see what happens, but uh, you know, to me, that's a, 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 that'll be a big tell for this game. If the Chiefs can, can do a good job, then uh, I feel like um, you know, the advantage the switches to them to an even greater extent.
0: A couple of Chiefs players have been placed on the COVID list uh, ahead of the Super Bowl. Could you give us some details about it and has anybody else tested positive in the past couple of days
2: no no it's just among players that's it right now and and again they didn't test positive they were close contacts so they can still make it back for the game on sunday Uh, if they keep testing negative they'll be back and available to play and uh, dan kilgore is a backup center and uh, the chiefs can certainly survive without him If it turns out he doesn't make it back. But, uh, you know, Demarcus Robinson plays a lot. That's a lot of snaps that need to go to other players if he's not in there. And you you always wonder about that a little bit. He would be the key guy. But it it appears that both guys are on track to, to be available on Sunday. But we'll see.
0: We always tend to focus on the superstars leading up to the Super Bowl, Brady versus Mahomes, and and rightfully so. But there's always that unsung hero that comes out of nowhere. Last year it was Sammy Watkins, who had the game of his life in the Super Bowl in this case. Who do you think is that player for Kansas City in this Super Bowl?
2: Yeah, you know, on offense there's not a whole lot of candidates maybe just because we know all these guys. You know, they've been – stars at one point or another during the season. If I had to pick somebody on offense, I, I'd pick um Darrell Williams just because he's kind of been a recent phenomenon for the Chiefs. You know, he he's a guy that's been really amazing, Darrell Williams. You know, the, the Chiefs have brought in a lot of backs in the last couple of years. You know, you look at guys like um, Sean McCoy and you know, they brought Spencer Ware back for a little bit and now this year they brought in Clyde Edwards-Alaire and, and Le'Veon Bell, and Darrell Williams is still standing. I mean, he's still here, still uh, part of the, the mix. Part of that is just the Chiefs really trust him in all situations. You know, they don't feel like they have to pull him out of the game in passing situations or um, on third downs or in short yardage or whatever it might be. They, they, they like Darrell Williams in all situations. So, I think if you're looking for a guy who might be a, a Damian Williams in this year's Super Bowl, Darrell Williams is a, a good uh, candidate there. On, on defense, I'm looking at a guy like Juan Thornhill. You Remember, he got hurt uh, towards ACL in the last regular season game last year, didn't play in the playoffs in the Super Bowl. This year, you know, for most of the year, he, although he's been back, just hasn't looked quite like the same guy most of the time. But he did last week or in the AFC Championship game against Buffalo. He, he did look like the same guy. He was near the ball constantly. You know, Maybe that's a great sign that Juan Thornhill is going to continue to his production. So if you're looking for a guy on defense, I, I'd point to Juan Thornhill.
0: The way you're talking about Williams, I get the feeling that we will not see a lot of Le'Veon Bell during the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, he, you know, I, I don't know what the Chiefs have planned. You know, he's been injured a little bit, as we know, and, and uh, it just seems like the Chiefs have kind of moved on without him. They had a chance to make him the featured back before his injury knee injury sort of popped up in the Atlanta game when, when Edwards Hilaire was out, and the Chiefs sort of turned to Darrell Williams instead. And this thing has gone too well with Darrell Williams for them, in my opinion, to turn back now. And, you know, it, it is still Edwards Lair's team, although Williams played a little bit more last week. I don't know that that's going to continue. You know, Edward Solaire was just sort of getting back into it after missing a few weeks. So we'll see how it develops. But, you know, as long as those other two guys are healthy and ready to go, I, I don't see a lot of room for Le'Veon Bell in this game, though. No.
1: Well, it seems like they did the same thing with Shady McCoy last year, too, where, I mean, he played bits and parts, but then as the season went on, he was like a healthy scratch through the playoffs. And ironically, he'll be on the other sideline this year. So uh, I don't know if he's going to play in this game either. He might get, get two rings out of it.
2: I was going to say, you, you remember that McCoy wasn't even active for the Super Bowl last
1: year. Right, yeah. And, hey, I,
2: I could I could see a similar scenario for Le'Veon Bell this year. I really could. I mean, if the Chiefs feel like they're good with those two guys, Darwin Thompson plays on special teams, Bell doesn't. So I, I could see a scenario where Le'Veon Bell is inactive on some
1: There's so many different storylines, you know, when when these games come up. And it seems like what's being beaten to death is the age difference of the quarterbacks. Let's say upper ages of the coaches. Uh, Maybe the Chiefs offensive line for a bit. But, Adam, I mean, is there like a storyline that you're following that might not be, it might be a little under the radar, so to speak?
2: Mahomes, everybody looks at Mahomes and, and the age difference. He's 25, Brady's 43, and assuming he's going to be the one who, you know, Brady has all this big-game experience, and you know, Mahomes is the one who has to prove himself. I, I, I just don't agree with that part of it. I mean, Mahomes has proved himself in every big game he's ever played at and and most of the little games as well um you know even the one postseason game that he's lost he you know he led the chiefs to a big game and we all believe that if the chiefs had won that coin toss they would have been the ones winning that game so Brady is Brady and what he's done is amazing and what he's doing now is amazing but the, the, the chiefs don't aren't taking a back seat in in big game in the big game quarterback here I feel like you know if you're probably picking at this point in time between the two guys you would pick Mahomes I'm not I'm not even talking about the future now. I'm talking about just for this one game you would take Mahomes. You know, if you're boiling it down, Tom Brady's great, still great, great guy to have on your side in this game. But if I'm picking, I'll pick the other guy in this game.
0: Do you expect this to be a high-scoring affair in Tampa?
2: No, I don't. Um, I I think both teams are playing well enough defensively to where – not going to be a, a shootout type of game um you know remember the game in week 12 you know the chiefs got out to an early 17 to nothing lead and then they only scored 10 more points the rest of the game and you know the bucks had 10 points uh you know early in the fourth quarter they only had 10 points and they scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to sort of make it a close game. you know i 51 points i i i think that's in about the the same range uh is maybe what this one might be like. Um, I, I feel like both teams are, are too good defensively to get lit up for a whole game by the other side. So I, I think the defenses will make their plays, get their stops. So, no, I, I don't see a huge point total on either side.
0: Andy Reid finally got the monkey off his back last year. But do you expect him, if he wins another one on Sunday, do you get the feeling that he's ready to ride off into the sunset?
2: I don't know. I've not had anybody tell me that. So, um, uh, so I, I, that would kind of surprise me. And here, here's the thing about Andy Reid, he's been waiting his whole life for this team. You know, this is the team he's won with the quarterback who's who's a franchise guy who's head and shoulders over most of the rest of the league. Uh, an off a team with offensive capability that, that plays well enough at least on defense. This is the team he's wanted. I can't see him walking away right now. Um, I just don't see it. You know, I I don't know what else Andy Reid would do if he didn't coach football. You know, I don't see him as being a guy who goes fishing or, you know, any of those kinds of things. You know, I I just feel like he's a football coach. And, you know, it's kind of telling that, you remember, he left the Eagles and it it ended kind of badly for him in Philadelphia. And I sort sort of thought he would take a year off and maybe, you know, sit out and get back into it. And I was curious about his energy. Okay, that didn't happen. He, he was hired almost immediately by the Chiefs. And I was really curious about his energy, what, what, what he would bring to the Chiefs. You know, what, what, this is a guy who had it rough in Philadelphia. Remember, he had the, the, the tragedy with his son who, who died. And, and uh, it was really a rough year that last season in Philly. I figured, okay, he, he, he can't bring anything to this job. I was amazed. And to this day, I still am amazed by his energy. He attacks this thing like it's the most important thing in the world. To me, that's pretty telling, that, that he still enjoys what he's doing, that he still likes this, that he still wants to be a part of it. I mean, you know, being around him a lot, I I know how much he, he loves the, the being around a, a group of young men and, and being their leader and being their teacher. He, he loves this stuff. He lives for it. So uh, I, guess, I, I guess anything's possible, but I, I'm not expecting that at all. I, I think – Kill coach for the foreseeable future. Um, He's only, what, 62? Is that right? Um, I I feel like he's going to be around for a little while.
1: Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you there, uh, Adam. I don't, yeah, I mean, as long as Mahomes is healthy and they've got a chance to win, he's he's going to ride this thing out as long as he can. You talked about the offensive line, the state of flux, all the players that have been in and out. And I I don't know if you mentioned Kolechi Yosemite, but it seemed like he was really going to add something to this line, and then he got hurt. We don't talk a lot, I mean, you, you hear a lot about EB, you know, as far as the coordinator, Spags, so forth. We don't hear a lot about Andy Heck, right? If he's the offensive line coach of the Chiefs, former player, uh, was a really good player, I think, with uh, Seattle for most of his career. But I, as in your time covering the Chiefs or, or talking to or about Andy Heck, what, what can you share with us about him and kind of how he makes this thing work with all these different parts in and out of the lineup?
2: Yeah, you know, I've done uh, some stories on Andy Heck. And for for those stories, I've talked to a lot of people who have played for him and not necessarily playing for him now because sometimes you get a little different answer from guys who are playing now. They feel like they need to say the politically correct thing. But I've talked to a number of people who are former, have played for Andy uh, Heck in the past, and they all swear by him. You know, guys who played for maybe a lot of different teams, a lot of different offensive line coaches and they say, oh he's the best he's the best I ever played for. Um, they talk about how he puts them in great positions to succeed and uh, um, you know, some of the things he does that, that kind of uh, to get them going in a game. He, the, the chiefs uh, are one of the teams that, that uh, have a script at the start of every game. offensive scripts for the first 15 or so plays. And Andy Heck is involved in that. And, and they feel like his involvement allows them to have some plays that get them going in games, that play to the strengths of the offensive linemen. So there's that issue. You know, the Chiefs, every Friday since he's been here, the Chiefs have this little drill at the start of practice where the offensive linemen get to go out and run some patterns. You know, they go out and catch some passes. And it's about as ugly as you might expect. You know, the ball ends up <laughs> on the ground a lot. But so these guys enjoy doing that, you know, and, 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 you know, every once in a while they get put in a position in a game where they catch a touchdown, like Eric Fisher uh, did earlier in the season. So they just like playing for him. And, and, uh, you know, he he has a habit of trying to mix it up in practice. And this is particularly true in training camp. A lot of times, from snap to snap, a lot of times they don't have the same offensive line. Guys are moving around, playing different positions. And because uh, he wants to get them some work at, at, at a different position, in case they need to play there in a certain game, in case they're needed there. So he wants to he wants them to have just a – even if it's just a little bit of a feel in practice, the way to uh, – you know, a, a feel for uh, that position. I feel like that's helped the choose out in a lot of times, particularly this season, when guys have had to move around. It looks like Mike Remmers is going to make his third – start at a third different position this season in the Super Bowl. Andrew Wiley, the mostly guard, who – Looks like he might start a tackle. We'll see how the Chiefs do it. But uh, if that's how they go, um, you know, it's certainly been a deal where they've really had to dig into that depth and, and have some versatility, and Andy Heck's been a big part of that.
1: Well, it seemed to me like that first Buffalo game that those guys were having a yep. blast because they ran the ball for like 200 <laughs> yards. We haven't seen that since Christian Nikoi, I think, and they yeah, just seemed and, like and, and, they were having a blast.
2: Yeah, and you remember that was the week after the offensive line had kind of been embarrassed by the Raiders the week before. I mean, that yep. was, without question, the worst offensive line game of the season. And the Chiefs lost, and it was uh, you know, a lot of those guys were embarrassed by that. And they, they came out uh, breathing fire that night.
1: Yeah, that was that was great to watch. Now, Brett Veach is you know one of these uh, the younger GMs that seem to be coming across the the NFL, and you see a lot of the moves and a lot a lot more aggressive nature of these GMs. But you know John Dorsey still has his fingerprints all over this roster. I guess we can argue about who gets credit for finding Mahomes, but I'm pretty sure Veach was the guy. But, you know, Dorsey still pulled the trigger and made that deal happen so they could go up and get him. Eric Fisher, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill, Tano Passano, D-Raw. I mean, he's drafted a lot, I guess, and guys that aren't on the team anymore, Marcus Peters, Kareem Hunt. He did a great job in picking players, and we can debate over what went wrong as well. But as far as Veach is concerned, he's kind of picked up where, where Dorsey's left off. Where, where do you, what sense do you get from him? What makes him so good at this job?
2: By the way, um, there's a reason Marcus Peters and Kareem Hunt aren't Well, yeah. <laughs> right. and, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, those guys, um, I, I'm not sure everybody was on board, particularly Marcus Peters. There's not they had those issues coming in. Issues, I mean, that, yeah. 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 So, but um, at any rate, you know, he, he's just a guy who um, – this this is what he was built for. You know, he, he grew up in, in small town Pennsylvania and and uh, just worshiping the high school football players in his area, and 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 then he became one and still on the I think the all time le- list of leading rushers, if I'm not mistaken, in Pennsylvania history. Not not up near the top, but I think he's somewhere in the twenty five to thirty range, somewhere in that area. But you know, then he went on to play in in one double A at Delaware and moved wide receiver. And and uh, you know, somebody told me a story about him one time that one of his coaches at Delaware that after his last game, you know, he knew he, Beach wasn't going to go on to play in the NFL. That his football career was over. And you know, just sat at his locker after the game and was, was crying. It was his last game, and he knew it, and he was never going to play football again. And, and you know, that tells you a little bit of how, how important football is to that guy. You know, and he, he's just kind of been groomed for this other since. You know, he, he knows what he wants in a player. He knows what he likes. And that's not as common as you might think. And, and the other thing about him is his aggressiveness, so, you know, he's not afraid to believe in what he sees. He's not a, a, afraid to believe in what he feels about a player. And that really showed in, in the Mahomes trade, among other things. Some guys just are, are afraid, they're paralyzed, that if they make that Mahomes trade, for instance, and it blows up on the Chiefs, he's going to look real bad. Well, Beck Veach isn't afraid of that. You know, he, he, just, he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. He'll make a move, and if he's wrong, he's wrong. And if he's right, then... Uh, It's going to work out in in spades for the Chiefs. You know, not everything he's done has been perfect, but a lot of good stuff here. And overall, uh, a lot more good than than bad. So um, pretty sharp guy. I mean, the Chiefs are really lucky that, that he's around.
1: Well, case in point, his first huge move, his first uh, first round pick, he makes a big trade for Frank Clark. So, uh, yeah, that worked out well last year. Well, finally, Adam, this is gonna be our last question for today. I could certainly go on all day, and you know that. Uh, maybe we'll pick this up another time. But you know, certainly through this coaching cycle, hiring cycle, and I'm sure you've been asked, you've, asked, I mean, and so it's ad nauseum. Eric Bieniemy deserves a shot at a head coaching job he's got many shots but he hasn't been hired instead of I guess talking about why he isn't a head coach you've seen him grow I think in front of your eye from the running backs coach offensive assistant and the offensive coordinator what do you see from this guy I mean what 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 makes you think that hey this guy this guy would be terrific
2: Well, just, again, from talking to players, guys who had played for him, going back to some of the guys, you know, Jamal Charles and guys who were no longer around, they talk about, again, how he sort of stands out as a running back coach to them. You know, they they felt like he was the best one they had in their career. And some of the reasons they say that are just detail-oriented. They know what they're supposed to do on every single play. I mean, there's never any question about what do I do if this happens? What do I do if the defense does this? I mean, Eric Vianemi has every little detail covered for those guys. And that's the kind of guy he is. And he's also a pretty in-your-face communicator. You know, you always know where you stand with Eric enemy And, uh, you know, so those are really his um, his qualifications there. Those are maybe the things that would, would recommend him as a head coach. As for why he doesn't have a job, yeah, I, I can't explain it. I mean uh, – Hey, if if it's because he's not a play caller, why call – you know, if that's a box that you have to check for your next head coach, why bring him in for an interview then? You know, that makes no sense. You know that about him. And why hire Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson? They weren't play callers when they started with – when they were with Andy Reid. I I just don't uh, really understand it. I I don't know what else he can put on his resume. But, you know, pretty sharp guy, and, um, you know, the Chiefs will continue to prosper as long as he's around.
1: Again, Adam, this has been tremendous. I've got about 50 more questions, but it is Super Bowl week, and you do have another job. So uh, we appreciate the time, appreciate the insight. Maybe you can share with uh, our listeners how they can read your stuff, how they can uh, look you up.
2: ESPN.com's Chiefs page is uh, where all my stories are posted. Um, I have a book out called Kingdom: uh, How Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes uh, uh, turned the Kansas City Chiefs into Super Bowl champions. It's not just about the 2019 season, but about the, a little bit about the history of the Chiefs and how the, the 50 years, and as you guys know, how tough it's been to be a Chiefs fan for, for all those 50 years, and you know, some of the things that the organization did to, to step on its own foot. But mainly about the, the 2019 season and the players, and it's it's available. Wherever books are sold, you can get it on uh, triumphbooks.com, which is the um, uh, the publisher. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com. Uh, pretty much anywhere b- books are sold.
1: Terrific. And on Twitter, your handle?
2: Uh, Adam Teicher, one word.
1: Terrific. Thanks again, Adam. It's been great.
2: Yeah, good stuff, guys.
0: All right. We're back from the interview. We would like to thank all the knowledge that we got from Adam. He certainly gave us a lot of insight into the Kansas City Chiefs and what might happen during the Super Bowl. So I know you appreciated that a lot, Luke.
1: We've never met face to face. We've spoken several times over the phone over the years. But as he mentioned, he came on in 1993, and it was around that time where I mean, I don't, I don't think I re- I had dial-up internet connection at the time. I think I actually. Picked up a a landline telephone and called the Kansas City Star just to talk to him, and he picked up, which I was shocked. And then over the years, you know, every you know, we we talked, came real close to meeting. Uh, one time the Chiefs were playing uh, in Pittsburgh a few years back, and Alex Smith was still the quarterback. Andy Reid was there. And Pittsburgh just annihilated them. It was a Sunday night game, but um, and you know it's it's nice to be able to see your team in person. But we were supposed to meet before the game, and it was just too. You know, I mean, obviously there's like sixty thousand people there. He had a job to do, and we never did quite meet. But yeah, it was really special. It's it, it was good to finally connect with Adam and get it on on digitized and get it out there into the ether so that other people can listen to. But yeah, I, I, it was great, and I I think Adam's. Just the best.
0: The biggest domino is that one quarterback in Matthew Stafford goes to the Los Angeles Rams and then the other unhappy quarterback, Jared Goff, moves on to the Detroit Lions with his the, the GM of that team, Brad Holmes, he used to be the, the college the college football director of scouting for the Rams. He was the one that was responsible for bringing Jared Goff and, and selling him to Les Snead and, and before Sean McVay got there. This was an interesting trade. I just didn't expect that it was going to go down this quickly. Are you surprised that the Los Angeles Rams gave up so much to get Matthew Stafford?
1: I guess on the surface, you know, when you when you look at the trade, the three picks, two future first rounders, this guy's he's going to be 33 years old, I, I believe, Sunday. So I mean, when the season starts, he's, he's going to be 33. Like, but you know, then you kind of peel it back a little bit. The Rams have been very not eager, but willing to part with future first round picks. You know, they did it with Jalen Ramsey done it all along. So they're a little bit more aggressive, if you would. And then if you look at it, in, in their minds, those picks are going to be in the 20s, even high 20s, if things go the way they expect them to go. So, you know, are those picks really worth that much? I mean, if you look at the, the old Jimmy Johnson trade chart, you know, is it really that big of a deal? I don't know. I I think the bigger deal is, first off, both teams got what they wanted. Rams get Stafford and Detroit get some picks and they get a 26-year-old quarterback. Now, granted, the the money is almost a wash, but I think the bigger thing here is, and I think the statement that gets made, is that Snead and McVeigh are of ultimate importance in that organization because you're going to go to your owner and say, all right, we spent, I don't know, how many picks, six picks to move up to get this guy. Oh, by the way, we think maybe we overpaid him, and now we want to get rid of him, and we're going to trade away even more picks to get rid of him and get an older quarterback in here. And the owner's like, all right, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, so that that is kind of intriguing to me. But yeah, I mean, it's just like the these G, these younger GMs in the in the NFL. I mean, it's more like the NBA guys. It's like, okay, those first round picks, unless they're in the top ten, sure, no problem. Roll the dice. We'll take that known commodity. We'll try to win right now and figure out getting talent in the future. Hats off to both teams they got what they wanted let's see what they do with the uh, with the capital that they got yeah it's it's exciting in that first domino i don't know how many trades really happen afterwards but this was kind of similar you know in the Alex Smith deal where they knew they were going to move on from him and the deal actually happens that Super Bowl week so there's kind of there's some parallels there not exactly the same but that's kind of reminded me that okay hey we get this deal done it's in place And then it's like, well, we actually have to wait until March, whatever the first day of the uh, the official league year is. And I'm thinking at the time, as a Chiefs fan, what's going to blow this thing up? You know, is is Washington all of a sudden going to pull out at the last minute? Then what do they do? Who's going to trade for Alex Smith? Both teams can say at some point before then, "Eh, maybe this isn't what we wanted to do. I don't see that happening. But, again, at the end of the day, this is, uh, this is what each team wanted, and they, they, they're taking different paths. The Rams are ready to win now. Detroit's thinking we got some time to build this.
0: It's a win-win situation. Both teams got what they wanted. The Lions got a quarterback in return, and they, they got three picks, and especially two first-round picks in the future. The one problem that I have with this is that Les need the GM of the Rams, He's a dangerous, high-stakes poker player. Let's say that nicely, right? He's willing to, to swing at the fences, but he has eaten a lot of dead money over the past couple of years. The Todd Gurley contract, and then he admitted his mistake, and he released him. The Brandon Cooks trade to the Houston Texans uh, last year. I mean, the the Rams almost ate $22 million in dead money in that trade. Now, with Jared Goff trade, they're eating over $22 million again in, in dead cap salary uh, money. The Rams are in cap hell, or I don't understand how they cannot be in cap hell at this point. They're giving out contracts, and then they're admitting their mistake, and they just they cut loose before anyone can realize that, hey, what the hell have they done? The problem that I have with this is, is this. Two years ago, Sean McVay resurrected Jared Goff's career after he got off to not-so-stellar start during his rookie year. He came on board, Jared Goff was his pet project, and he turned him into a very good quarterback who went to a Super Bowl, I want to you know, remind people, two years ago, right? They gave him over $100 million a year and a half ago. Now they're basically saying, all right, he's not the same quarterback that we thought he was, so Sean McVay and Les Need, they look stupid in all of this. I mean, they can admit they're a mistake. Like, after five years has passed, but they—they they basically they gave out a lot of money to the quarterback that they thought was the future of of this team, and all of a sudden a year and a half later, they're like, all right, no, he's not our quarterback. We want to cut our ties. Jared Goff is is the reason why we lost, and that's probably the narrative. Like. Sean McVay is smart enough to get to a Super Bowl, but Jared Goff is the one who is responsible for for the Rams not advancing any further. He has been kind; of, he's the fall guy basically in this, Lou, and that's that's the narrative that I don't like. McVay is too smart to be the fall guy, so let's make Jared Goff the fall guy a 26-year-old quarterback who took you to the Super Bowl two years ago, but now nobody wants them, so let's get rid of them. So the Rams are trying to trying to get out of this bad situation trying to make them seem a lot better than what they are but Sean McVeigh and Les Snead are putting themselves in a very dangerous situation because the Super Bowl is going to be in LA next year and if the Rams don't get to the Super Bowl forget about getting there they have to win the Super Bowl if they don't do that then both of those men might be out of the job
1: you look at it you know on the opposite coast you know the tale of two owners and what their thinking is. Where uh, in Philadelphia the owner, you know, kind of chose the player over the coach, and in L.A. the owner chose the coach and the GM ahead of the player. So you have to live and die with your decisions. That's your that's your resume in this league. Obviously, McVeigh is is a pretty young dude still. Yeah, he did get to a Super Bowl. Goff got there, you know. Obviously, Goff got there with him, They only scored three points. That's probably still gnawing at McVeigh and may not him the rest of his life that all he had needed to do was score 14 to win a Super Bowl. The bottom line is, again, it's I think it's the the ownership, and you've got a couple different schools of thought here, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, their their reputations, their jobs are on the line, and they figured if that's the case, let's do it with somebody that we have more confidence in. Now, there's a lot of backstory there between McVeigh and, and Stafford. Uh, going back to the days in Georgia, evidently uh, one of his best friends, Chad Hall, was a rival player there. It turns out, you know, in some crazy happenstance, is that Chad Hall's sister is Matt Stafford's wife. Apparently this whole deal was kind of done with those two guys in Cabo San Lucas in Mexico, and they were basically done over Zoom, so it's like he's bringing his one of his buddies in, and they're you know pretty close in age, and so there's some connection there. But still, yeah, you're right. I mean, it it is a reputation thing. The Rams again have pushed all their chips in the middle, to quote. B.A. again, no risk it, no biscuit. But, you know, let, let's see, I mean, Goff, when, when he had Brandon Cooks and he had some uh, some deep threats, yeah, he, w- he was a much better player. But if you watch the Rams the last couple of years, everything is underneath. They, they never challenged the defense deep. I mean, it wasn't like Goff wasn't throwing the ball deep to these guys and connecting. I mean, we talked about that game against the Chiefs. He threw the ball deep plenty, and they were beautiful balls. So maybe he can, you know, he can find that again if if uh, the Lions can get him some weapons. No risk, and no biscuit. All the chips are in Ram's Super Bowl or bust. Here we go.
0: It's an interesting narrative because since 2019 Goff ranked second in the NFL with 38 turnovers. That's a huge number and we're talking about yeah, that's pretty interceptions ugly. and fumbles. But once again, his former Director of college football scouting, Brad Holmes, decided to pull the trigger here on Jared Goff. He knows him really, really well. So if, if Snead and McVay have soured on Goff, the guy who has scouted him in college and has seen him with the Rams, and he's been with the Rams, I think, for 18 years, who got the GM job at the Detroit Lions, he obviously believes that Goff is not a broken-down player. And the Lions, the narrative coming out of the Lions' front office and all the coaches, they're basically praising Goff and saying, we want him. He's our quarterback of the future. He's 26 years old. He's not a bridge quarterback by any means. So it sounds like the Lions are not going to be using that top 10 pick on a quarterback in, in this year's draft by any chance. And the Lions are committing to the run. You and I talked about it last week. Dan Campbell and Anthony Lynn, they want to build a run-first type of team, and this is what Goff thrives on, right? With play-action passes. He doesn't have to be the guy. He, all he needs to do is kind of take care of the football. And it's really unfair in terms of Stafford. He was always on a bad Detroit Lions team. People are using this argument saying, well, he's never won the NFC North. He's never won a playoff game. Well, how many playoff games has Barry Sanders won? How many playoff games has Calvin Johnson won, right? Those players are, are great, so it's never the player. The Lions never had the pieces around Matthew Stafford to get it done, and finally he's going to get a chance with the Rams because he's surrounded by Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, a very promising running back and Cam Akers who was coming off a good rookie season when he was healthy. The Rams fixed their offensive line. They were one of the better o line units in in 2020, and that also plays a part in it. The only worry for me, Stafford is a good quarterback, but the only worry that I have about him is the injuries. The injuries that he's had the last couple of years. He's not a 25-year-old quarterback anymore. He's pushing 33 and coming off you know, a serious back injury last year. And th- that's probably the concern that I have with him. They need a good backup quarterback who will be able to step in if, if Stafford goes down because obviously the Rams are, that's it, they're putting all their chips in the middle and they're saying, hey, we're going all in. It, it's Super Bowl or bust.
1: That's the if that's the first domino. This is going to again, like you said. I mean, this is going to get very interesting because this may be an off season like no other because of all the quarterbacks that are in flux. Watson wants out of Houston. You say like the Jets have the number two pick. And they have Sam Darnold, San Francisco. You know, is this Garoppolo? Is this a bunch of smoke, or do they really? You know, they're not feeling Jimmy too too much. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe they're another another front office that's that's ready to you know to to make a bold move. Then obviously you connect the dots and Kirk Cousins. So that's Minnesota, Miami with Tua. If you know, if in fact that Watson becomes in play, does Tua become a piece of the? the package that Miami puts together. Dak Prescott is out there with, you know, being a free agent again. Is he going to get the franchise tag? Are you know will Dallas put trying to put something together in like a kind of like a an NBA like sign and trade? You got the Redskins need a quarterback. Chicago needs a quarterback. Carolina, you know, they're in the top ten and they're on record to say that they're willing to take a quarterback with that pick. New Orleans, if if, if Breeze retires, which it looks like he's going to do, is it Winston? Who knows? I mean, Indianapolis. Don't
0: forget, don't forget Aaron Rodgers as Taysom well. Hill.
1: I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think he might be angling for a new, for an extension or some, or some more money. I don't think I don't think that's ever gonna happen. Yeah. I I just don't see either side being better somewhere else you know where is he where is he going to go you know you hope they would get him some more weapons but yeah i mean but there's still more indianapolis they i think they may have been involved at least on the periphery in this deal for stafford uh denver's got drew lock i'm sure you know they would be open to a deshaun watson or one of these other guys if they became uh available in a trade the steelers you know is ben are they going to work this out he says he'll Play for less money. Push comes to shove. Is he really going to take a haircut? Because uh, I don't think the Steelers want to push any more money into the future. Jacksonville obviously is going to take Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I don't know. Did I miss anybody? I mean, this is you know almost you know, half the league, right? So <laughs> this could this could get fun. We're going to have a lot to talk about this year. So that's a good thing.
0: If the reports are true, the Carolina Panthers were offering the number 8th overall pick for what eventually happened with the Rams, but they were offering that 8th overall pick for Stafford, and it seems like Washington was pushing some chips out there as well. They were willing to give up that first round pick as well, and the Lions decided to do a deal with with the team I guess they were more familiar with, and they decided to accept a few more first round picks for maybe the they team. didn't want
1: Goff. i mean i think that that was probably a big part of it i mean what do you think do you think Goff? i mean for any other team it it would have been a throwing because i think for this to work obviously for the rams they had to exchange contract for contract and i don't know that any one of those other teams would have, would have wanted to do that don't you think
0: you know, we're talking about Jared Goff like he is a poor quarterback.
1: Oh, no, no. But, but they soured on him, so he was gone. I mean, it didn't. Ha- I don't know that it had anything to do with, I guess, his level of play, if you would. I think they just lost confidence in him. He can still be good. I don't think there's any question about that. But it's almost like it was like this deal. For the Rams, at least, it was like this deal or none. And for Detroit, it was like, hey, yeah, we get a 26-year-old quarterback. But I don't know if any of those other teams were were willing to go
0: that route. No, I don't think they were. To take the Goff contract, right? But I would take Jared Goff over Carson Wentz. I mean, if you're asking me, like, which quarterback I would roll with, and they're about the same age, and they experienced, you know, some problems this year, both guys have been good over the span of like two or three years. I mean, if you look at their stats, Goff's problem is turning the ball over, but this is a guy that has thrown for over 3,800 yards in the last four seasons. I've realized that people want to make a big deal that, yeah, he does it in Sean McVay's system, but what the hell does that mean? I mean, you still need to execute, and you still need to pick up those yards. Every great quarterback, most of them, by any case, they have great weapons around them. So it's not you know, like- I'm
1: starting, I'm starting to feel a little cow bears bias here, Alex. I you know that's you know, I think you like Jared a little too much.
0: I'm sticking up for him. Why does Brad Holmes <laughs> is sticking up to him? Brad Holmes stuck up for his guy that he recruited out of Cal. I can also stick up for the Cal Bears. I mean, I'm going to stick up for him more than I would stick up for the Bison. I mean, obviously. So, yeah, there's some bias out here. But I don't think if you look at the the NFL and you listed so many teams that are, that are in need of a quarterback or in need of an upgrade, Jerry Goff is out is outside of the top 10 but he's still better than half of the quarterbacks in this league.
1: Yeah, well what what do we think is the next one to go? I mean, which which where do you think this is going because all those ones I listed I think are legitimately, you know, they those teams have question marks and are going to be, you know, jockeying for position if you would. What what do you think the next step is going to be? Who's going to make the next bold move?
0: Well, I think there are two teams in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, because if we're hearing that the 49ers are basically saying we're willing to take Kirk Cousins, we don't have the resources to go after somebody like Deshaun Watson, then you know it's probably left to the two AFC East teams. The Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. I mean, teams those in the, the top
1: five. Both teams been picking in the top five, so sure they
0: have resources. The Jets have two first-round picks this year. The Dolphins have two first-round picks this year. You do have top-five picks, and you can offer them something in the future. Well. I mean, they're built that way. They do have extra picks as well, especially the Miami Dolphins in in future years because this is what they've, they've done to clear that cap space. You definitely take Deshaun Watson because he is a proven commodity in the NFL. You don't know about Zach Wilson. You don't know about Tua. You take Deshaun Watson because he's in the prime of his career at 25 years old. He's a really great guy off the field. He won't embarrass your franchise, even though things are getting out of hand here at Houston, but that's not his fault. I think the Houston Texans are going to have to make that deal, and it's going to come down to the Jets and the Dolphins. But I do think that this saga, it will continue for a month or so. And I do think that the 49ers, are going to move a lot quicker in, in their movement. If they're interested in Kirk Cousins, I think they'll try to do that deal as quickly as possible because that's just... That's just John Lynch's style. That's what Kyle Shanahan likes to do. They like to operate quickly. They want to find out where they are before free agency, before the draft. They're, they're not going to linger with this. They either commit to Jimmy G or they'll just say, okay, if we can't make that trade for Kirk Cousins, that means what we'll do is, you know, we'll try to draft the guy. In, in the 2021 NFL draft that Kyle Shanahan likes. So I think that's, that's going to be the next domino. I think Jimmy G is going to go, and it, most likely it's going to be Kirk Cousins that, that's going to be coming to the Bay Area.
1: Well I'm sure we will be hashing this out for the weeks to come there's no no question about that and as you know details come up or you know smoke screens arise or any any tidbit of information you know we'll we'll be sharing that and our opinions on on those coming up so all right I think it's time to pick the game
0: I guess I'll go first because you, you've you got a score in mind. I don't have a score in mind. I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's pretty simple. I, I believe in Mahomes and that offense. The, the Andy Reid got that monkey off his back last year, and I just think this team is rolling. I think they'll, they'll do enough on defense. I already mentioned that I think it's going to be a high-scoring Super Bowl, but I do think that the Chiefs will cover, and I think Patrick Mahomes and uh, – the Kansas City Chiefs will capture their second Super Bowl in a row.
1: Okay. Well, I'm sure everybody knows where where I'm leaning as far as the game is concerned, so I'm not going to bore you with a, a lot of uh, reasons why. We, we've discussed them pretty, pretty well this whole show and leading up to uh, – you know, last week's show as well, but uh, the effect of playoff Sammy, watch out, watch out for him. Number fourteen, if if he does play, the things are you know pointing in the in the right direction for playoff Sammy. Uh, a lot of attention being placed on Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Sammy came up big in the playoff run last year. Look for him to make a play or two during the game, maybe just enough to to tip it in the Chiefs' scale. But according to Bovada, here's the one. Here's the one prop bet that looks I'm calling my shot. I rarely do this. I'm gonna pick a score. Thirty four Chiefs, twenty four Tampa Bay, and it's plus twelve thousand five hundred. For every dollar you get twelve thousand five hundred. I'm going all in on this. Well maybe not all in, but maybe ten bucks give it, give it a roll and see if I can make some bucks. but thirty four twenty four chiefs is plus twelve five hundred. Yeah, you know, maybe I can make some money from those guys.
0: thirty four twenty four. I wrote it down, Lou. I'm gonna put a hundred just for the fun of it.
1: All right, very good. Well, gang, we've come to the end of our Super Bowl preview show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Thanks to our guest, Adam Teicher, uh, previously the Kansas City Star, ESPN, currently been covering the Chiefs for uh, nearly 30 years. I hope you enjoyed his comments. As always, on the way out, Super Bowl, baby. Peace.